Welcome to the Hospitality and Politics podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Ridgey, and I am the executive director of the New York City Hospitality Alliance. This is the first Zoom town hall version of the podcast that we are doing, and we're very uh, excited to do it, obviously in very trying times and under difficult circumstances, but we're so thrilled that more than 600 people and counting uh, have registered and have joined us today. Uh, As you know, the New York City Hospitality Alliance, we are a not-for-profit trade association that represents the restaurant and nightlife industry uh, here in New York City, and we really have been working around the clock the past you know time seems to mesh together but weeks now uh, trying to support our industry through the devastation of the coronavirus pandemic uh and we are fighting for all of you really around the clock as i said but at all levels of government both at a city state and federal level because we are going to need a massive restaurant rescue and save nightlife plan that is going to address local issues like permits and licenses to much larger issues when it comes to rents, business interruption insurance, where we're going to discuss today, and all these different issues to make sure that our industry can come back eventually. And we know it's going to take time. We know it's going to be difficult, and there's going to be a lot of damage on the way. But we do know that the nation's economy, New York State, and New York City's economy will not recover unless restaurants, bars, and nightlife are at the core of that recovery. So rest assured, the Hospitality Alliance team, I want to thank them for doing all of their incredible work, uh, making sure that we are fighting for you, alongside you, and helping to lead our industry through this difficult, difficult time. So today, we are going to have a critically important conversation uh, with John Hotelling, of the Business Interruption Group. He is the general counsel. He has extensive, extensive experience in this field. And we're gonna talk about policies, why they're not paying, what is the legal strategy, what is the political strategy. Because when I speak with restaurant bar and club owners day in and day out, while there's various different policies and programs that could help support our industry, the one thing that I continue to hear is the fact that if business interruption insurance policies paid out their claims, it would be the most efficient and effective way to support these small businesses during our time of crisis. So I want to introduce John. I want to thank the Hospitality Alliance team. I also want to uh, thank one of our founding trustees and friends, Ronan Kamenitz at HGR Group, who helped put this together, uh, as well as the many other folks that have put in so much time and effort to support uh, all of our initiatives. Um, So, you know, like I said before, since the Hospitality Alliance has been so engaged in all of these different initiatives, when John and I initially connected He explained what his plan and strategy is, why this is so important, and we are going to explore why the Hospitality Alliance has gotten involved, along with many other organizations, the James Beard Foundation, uh, Roar, and many other groups, to make sure that our industry's voice is heard at all levels of government, but really across sectors and within the public to let them know that our industry is vital to the economic footprint and social landscape of the city. So what I wanna do and just set it up, John and I are gonna speak for about 35, 40 minutes. 
give you a really good deep dive into the issue, into the strategy, and we'll probably answer a lot of your questions along the way. You will see if you are logged into Zoom, which I presume you are, unless you're uh, watching us on Facebook Live or one of the other channels, that there's a Q&A feature. Please submit your questions. We're going to leave some time at the end and we'll do our best to get to as many of them. I'm not sure we're going to be able to answer individual specific policy questions on this call. Um, but please submit your questions. We'll get to as many as we possibly can. And then after the call, we will follow up with an email uh, about next steps, what all of you folks can do, along with others who may not have been able to join us on the call. We're also recording this so we can make sure you all get a copy. So, John, welcome and thank you for being here. Thank you, Andrew. Thank, thank you for the forum. Terrific. So I want to start off at a really basic level. Um, what is business interruption insurance? Yeah, so business interruption insurance is generally part of your property policy that many businesses have. Um, many businesses I see ha that have business interruption coverage have paid for it um, uh, when, and it, and it covers just what it says, which is business interruption, when your business is interruption, interrupted. Um, there are a lot of businesses out there, particularly the restaurant, hospitality, hotel industry, that are very labor intensive. So there's lots of employees that make up the business itself. And, and, it's, and a lot of those businesses realize that if something were to happen and it would interrupt the business, for example, a civil authority shutdown, that it's not just like going and turning the lights out in a factory, walking out and walking back in and turning it up again, turning lights on again. In those instances, there's lots of employees, there's lots of stuff. This is particularly important in the restaurant hospitality business um, because there's so many people. Um, and so business interruption coverage is sold by insurance companies to say, if you're, you pay into the pot, it's, it's actually very expensive to do it. Um, I, have, I have clients who have paid over a couple million dollars a year for this kind of coverage. It's very expensive, but it depends on the size of your business and how many employees and people that you have. And so you pay for it. And in, in these policies, it has specifically uh, civil authority coverage. Um, and that is what is affecting a lot of us um, is that the civil authority has actually shut the business down. And in policies, there's specific parts and there's coverages, absent exclusions. There's coverages for when the civil authority shuts you down so that your business um, and the measure of the loss is from the time of the shutdown to the end. Got it. So that's what's happened, at least in New York and many places, that government, whether it's your city or your state, have required uh, businesses like restaurants and bars to shut down. Uh, in New York City and, and in the state, we are, as I believe elsewhere around the country, able to continue to offer takeout and delivery. So um, as I said in the introduction that a lot of business owners have told me that if this insurance would just pay out these claims, it would be a lifeline for my business. Um, yeah, and that and unlike, you know, unlike these programs, these general programs that get thrown together and may apply to restaurants that may apply to other businesses, we're seeing in the news of uh, there's lopsided, uh, some people that are getting it that may not need it as much as others. The thing about the policies is when they're negotiated with the insurance companies and when they're paid, um, the, the business itself, they're not all these the business interruption policies and benefits are the same. You, the, they actually measure your business. They look at your business and say, 
if you're going to get shut down for 30, 60, 90 days, if there's an extension or something, they actually pay and the limits are structured uh, specifically for these kind of instances for, for, for when when it does. The problem that we've had here is that the insurance industry, number one, is misrepresenting these policies to people. Um, and they're just flat out you know, misrepresenting some of the policies and they're not paying them as a result of that misrepresentation. Got it. So let's talk about the business interruption uh, group or big as it's been uh, called. What's the mission of the organization? Why did you come together and what are you trying to achieve? So it's, you know, I've, I've been, I've experienced these insurance disasters. Um, they're kind of, um, there's been, there's a documentary after work that, that I did for Superstorm Sandy um, that was called The Disaster After the Disaster. It is always, you know, the, we come through troubled, tr- troubled times. We buy insurance for troubled times. The problem is we rely upon that. We pay our premiums. We invest. We don't take all the money that we could. We leave some back in case of the proverbial rainy day or the things that were not expected. And, and, um, and what happens, though, is in these mass disasters, um, and I see this over and over again, I've been now at the tip of the spear, or if you look at it from the insurance perspective, I'm the, the center of the bullseye. Of, of all of these disasters, over you take a Katrina, um, BP oil spill, the various hurricanes, all the way, who affected a lot of New Yorkers and people in the Trice area, Superstorm Sandy. The play is always the same that the industry uses. Um, they see the disaster or the thing coming, and they prepare. And they don't prepare to pay. This is the problem. What they do is they put together a three-pronged attack and response to the disaster, and it is not to come. Unfortunately, the 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 the, the, the aids that they do is, is they don't prepare in three ways to become your good neighbor, be on your side, or to, to give you the good hands that they promised. What they do always, and I see the same play happen over and over again, uh, almost like that Groundhog Day where the guy you know lives the same day over and again. I see it all the time. And the first thing that they do is they get they speak to their brokers and their agents before the disaster happens. And they, and they tell them things about the policies, and I often find that those things are intentionally inaccurate. And they, and they get out, and they get that out to the policyholders in advance of the loss to say, this dangerous thing is coming, and you're not protected. And so I see the first, the first part of this attack is a PR thing that they do. They, they really do a PR thing, and they put a, do a PR job on people, and they tell them, you're not covered, and here's why, and they make up reasons why. And then what they do is they go to Washington, the second part of their strategy. They use a political strategy, which they go to Washington, and they say, we don't cover any of this. This is a disaster area. You need disaster aid. We're not the disaster aid that people paid for. You go here to a federal program. And they rush to Washington with industry, pretending to help them, and then they put pots of money together um, as a, hey, don't look at me. Look at this. And, th- and those pots of money are generally hastily put together because they're put together in a disaster time. Um, they're put together in an emergency. They're not often measured well. And then what I see is they do a, they do a, a court action and, and they prepare with their lawyers instead of paying the reserves to defend the claims. So what we did is not over the years of doing this, I've gotten a little bit better at it. I've watched their playbook. It's very well worn, this playbook. And I've looked at it and I've said, you know, 
this is what we need to do as well as, as, as people who, who, who are doing this on behalf of policyholders. So when this happened, the, um, if I go back chronologically, on the 11th of March is when Italy shut its restaurants down. Um, and on the 12th, the industry came forward with a white paper. It was, it was done by a, a go-to uh, large defense firm uh, called the Zell Firm, and they put out this white paper. And what this white paper said basically was, doesn't matter what your policy says. Doesn't matter if you have a virus inclusion, a virus exclusion, we're not gonna, these policies are not going to pay for the civil authority shutdown that's about to happen. And when I read that, I looked at it, and I was very dismayed. I have to tell you, I know um, some of the partners and the people in that firm, um, I was very disappointed by that memo because what the memo said was that um, they, it actually misrepresented what the civil authority shutdowns were going to be. It, it said, well, the civil authority is going to be about social distancing. It's not going to be about a dangerous property condition. So they were going to deny, and this was on the 12th of March, that the coronavirus created what we know is truth, a dangerous property condition. So that weekend, I looked at, that was a Thursday, um, and that weekend I got together and I called, I have, I have a bunch of chef friends um, who are well-known in the industry. I called them all and I said, we have to get together the restaurant industry because they're going to shut the restaurants down first. That's going to be the first part of our economy that are going to be shut down. And when you shut down the restaurants, as you know, Andrew, I mean, the restaurants and the hospitality and the hotel space, and this is all together. So if you, if you don't pay the restaurants, it does it collapses. So we put together the business interruption group over that weekend. And we got together with, with other chefs and restaurateurs around the country, recognizing that the restaurant industry is 15.6 million people. You know, it's a trillion dollars to the economy, that alone. And that we needed to do what the insurance industry did, which is one, number one, from a public relations standpoint, we need to go and tell people the truth, that the virus was causing a very dangerous property condition and what the insurers were doing. And then two, we also need to go to Washington. We need to tell those politicians, look, we've paid for coverage. Okay, we've measured our coverage. We have it. They're not telling the truth that all policies have virus exclusions. They're not telling the truth about the virus. And then what we did is we, on that Monday, we initiated the first action against the insurers going into court and asking for what the law was here, which is what we did on the 16th. And, and we, launched it, we launched it on that day. So what has been the response from the insurance industry? Clearly, you just explained what the insurance industry has been doing in response to this crisis. Um, now that you've gotten some really good publicity, uh, there's a lot of organizations like the Hospitality Alliance, but many others that are involved. And you have elected officials that have been introducing different bills. And there's a lot of focus on this issue. And it continues to grow in interest because, frankly, it would be incredible uh, to pay the policies because it would really help these businesses. What has the industry said, the insurance industry said to you directly or indirectly as to what you just laid out for us? Well, what they did was exactly, you know, this is kind of the groundhog day where I lived the same day over and over again. I know what they're going to do. And they did exactly what I expected. Um, they told people, they first went up publicly and they misrepresented. They did this on industry blogs. They did this on targeted lawyer blogs, things that they know that general counsels and other people and policyholders would read. And then they went into the, in the press. 
And the first thing they did was just flat out lie. They just flat out lied. They just said every policy, virtually every policy has a virus exclusion. Everyone has a pandemic exclusion, a virus exclusion, and none of it's covered. And it's just simply not, just simply not true. So, so that's the first thing they did. The second, the second thing they did is they ran to Washington. They got their lobbyists, which is they always do. They gear up. They, they get their very fancy lobbyists. They get crisis managers. And they run to Washington. And they go to Washington. They tell the politicians we don't cover it all. Okay? And, and, and then what they did, it was, it was int- I found it interesting. Um, they said, well, we only have – now." this much money and their, the, the amount of money they had was shy of a trillion dollars that their number. And, and it's hard to, to tell them what they tell the truth. They have a vast interest in this number being small, but they put out there, they have $822 billion sitting in cash as reserves to pay claims. And they went to Washington and said, we only have 822 billion and that's it to pay claims. Uh, and, you know, I, I got calls from the media and the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, and others says, oh, my gosh, they only have $822 billion. And I, and I thought, well, my goodness. I mean, the Titanic is sinking, right? I mean, the Titanic is sinking. And it's kind of like the captain going, well, I'm sorry, everybody. We may not have enough lifeboats, so we're not going to drop any of them. We're not going to drop the ones we have. We're not going to pay any. And basically what they've said is effectively and constructively – We are going to take nearly a trillion dollars of your money that is sitting in cash to pay your claims. They said they're not even paying claims that have virus inclusions in them. There are claims with actually pandemic. They're paying nobody. They're paying nobody. And they're holding that money hostage, um, claiming they don't have enough money. Now, and my response was, okay, if, Maybe you don't have, maybe you owe some policies and you don't owe others, but pay the ones you owe right now. Drop the lifeboats you have, you know, and, and if you need more money, um, why don't you do what the airlines do is to say we're in the part of the economy and we need more money. So I want to uh, go back to something because a couple of questions have come up on, on this point saying that, you know, this was a you know, civil authority or it was a government closure but the virus did not cause a loss or physical damage to property. And a couple of people have mentioned that. So can you explain exactly, is this true? Is it not true? I also understand some mayors and governors may have put specific language in their executive orders when they required the closure, because that's a big issue, obviously, if it's clearly exempt. Um, but you're saying it's something different. What is it? That's- yeah, so there's a lot of confusion by this. And the reason people are confused um, is that there's an intentional propaganda to confuse people on purpose about how the policies read. You know, first off, there doesn't have to be contaminate. There's two parts to your policy. There's business interruption because you're contaminated. And then there's business interruption for a civil authority closure. <clears throat> now, the civil authority closure does require in most policies that the civil authority has the reason for the civil authority has to be because there's a dangerous, a present dangerous property condition in the area, okay? That has to be the requirements for the trigger of your civil authority coverage. It doesn't have to be in your place, but let's say it's in Manhattan, on the island of Manhattan, there has to be a dangerous property condition. What the insurance industry is doing is pushing out and saying, well, there's no, you know, where is the property damage? Where's the property loss? Where is any of this? Um, 
and they they know that the virus is causing a dangerous property condition in the area, and that is a covered loss into most most policies that don't have exclusions, and that triggers the civil authority coverage. So one of the things um, that many of the governments did, um, mine did in my state, Mayor de Blasio did, and across the nation, is they were informed that the insurance industry was going to misrepresent the orders themselves. Uh, and, and they were. We got notice from the insurance industries that the insurance industry was going to say, well, the civil authority orders are only about social distancing. That's what this white paper said. It's only about social distancing. It, it, it's only for a fear of a future thing, and such things are not covered. Those civil authorities are not at all going to be about a dangerous property condition presently in the area. Now, we know that wasn't true, and I was very vocal. I personally was very local to my government. Um, I went to New York. I went to Atlanta. I went to, I went to Texas. I went all the way across the country to speak to as many people as I could to say, look, the insurance companies don't want you to warn about the dangers of the virus. They, they want to say it's only about social distancing, and they don't want to warn that it's getting on stuff and being dangerous. Um, and they don't want you, I, I, I suspected that they would object to this. They don't want you to warn about that because that could trigger the policies. Um, and, and what the World Health Organizations and what the civil authorities were doing was saying, no, these are the reasons for the orders. So many of the governments clarified that we are shutting things down, not just because of social distancing, but what the real danger, the real danger of this is getting on, it's getting on stuff, causing a, a potential to certain people lethal condition um, to, to the stuff. And so many of the governments actually clarified that point. Um, so it makes it very difficult for the insurance companies to deny. Got it. So you're saying that the virus basically sticks onto surfaces and others can, if they touch it, can get sick. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that the World Health Organization. Yeah. No, we have to, we have to. That's what yes, the point is, is that the insurance industry has denied that. Now, it, it is interesting because the, the lobbyists and the, the lobbyists for the insurance industry initially went around and cr- actually, they actually criticized the wording of these orders. Um, you know, they're putting stuff in there that it's a dangerous property condition and they actually objected. They actually objected to this language going into the orders. Um, and they, and, and I've had, and I've had journalists that have asked me about, about that. And I, and my response has been, you know, if the insurance industry is going to deny the, and wants to deny the dangers of the virus that is creating a lethal property condition. And that's not, and that's the reason for the civil authority orders in many cases, if they're going to deny that, it just, it's just it's morally bankrupt. I've used that word, and, 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 and the industry has not liked that, but, uh, but it's true. The, the idea that they would they actually deny the, and, and want to water down warnings to the public so that they don't have to pay, I, I, find, to be, I, I find to be dangerous and I find to be wrong. Um, so. So, all right. So, well, you explained kind of what the business interruption group's uh, position is, where the insurance industry stands at this point. Um, Let's dive a little bit deeper. I understand that there was a call with President Trump and he's commented on this issue, perhaps in some press conferences and elsewhere. Uh, Can you give us any insight into that, please? So he so he so the president um, 
within a couple of weeks, um, the business interruption group got a call from the president. Um, and, and, and there was, there was discussions about this and the president, as he did, he recognized this in his press conference afterwards. Um, not all policies have exclusions. Um, and, and, and it is not right for the insurance companies to collect the money um, and then not live by the terms of the contracts themselves. Um, and if they don't exclude it, they need to pay those policies. And the president made that very clear um, that if you don't have exclusions in your policy, um, you, you can't collect for something that you promised to cover people on and then not cover them. And, and he made the point, which, which was the point was made to him, not all policies have exclusions, okay? And, and for the industry to lie about what their policies say um, is, is just, it's just wrong. It's morally wrong for them to be able to do that. The president made that point and the president said, we're not gonna let you get away with it, which is to not live by your, the wording of your policies themselves. So let's talk a little bit about the legal strategy. I've heard that <laughs> Uh, you know, policyholders around the country are filing claims, um, or I'm sorry, have filed claims and that they've been denied and now they're taking the insurers to court. Can you talk a little bit about, I guess, Big's legal strategy and perhaps a little bit of insight about how restaurant bar and nightclub owners should be thinking about their policies, particularly if they were denied? Um, is there a legal route, some sort of action or otherwise that they should take? Yes. Yeah, so the first thing we wanted to do as part of our, both ways, all three parts, it's, it's the public relations, it's the political, it's a civil action uh, that we filed. We filed the first one. Um, we filed it as a deck action. It's a declaratory judgment action. What that is, it's not a, you know, uh, the, the strategy here wasn't to file a big class action or a big thing and make a bunch of lawyers rich. The, 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 the purpose of this um, was to be very efficient, go into court, and just ask the judge, what's the law? If there's a civil authority order shutting me down, and I have a policy that doesn't have virus exclusions in it, and I have civil authority coverage, and we're asking the judge to declare it is not a defense for you to say that the coronavirus ain't a dangerous property condition. That's not a defense, and we're asking the judge to confirm that. Um, we did that with a Lloyd's of London policy, um, and that has been able to do that to be able to do that. Now, um, since then, we filed another with with another with another chef, very well known chef in Napa Valley. He actually has a virus inclusion in his policy, um, and they're not paying him. So, so the point was with these um, is is to is to make the point both in court and in the public is that the insurance companies have policies out there that absolutely one hundred percent, without any doubt apply and and to make that point. Um, the other part of it, though, is this. <clears throat> there are, and this is what people should know. First, they should know that not all the policies are the same. The policies are written, um, and I think the insurance industry would admit this. They're not, they're, they're misrepresenting that all the policies have exclusions, um, which, is, which is legally, factually, and morally wrong. But what, they're do, what they need to do, people need to do, is they need to actually have somebody who has experience in this, read the policy. First, what they need to do is to find out whether or not they have a pandemic, a specific pandemic exclusion in the policy. Now, when you read these policies, they're very tricky to read, okay? And some are clear, some are not clear on it, and some clearly exclude pandemics. 
I have seen, I've looked at, my, my, my office has looked at nearly 400 of these in the past six weeks. Our legal teams have looked at them. We've only found three that have a pandemic exclusion, only three. Now, what we have seen in many of the policies, and this is, and this is a lot of policies in New York, and this is going to be a fight for the courts, um, to, and, or, or it's going to be so solved at the federal level. But the, the insurance companies intentionally, in 2006, they wanted to exclude the pandemic of SARS that happened in 2003. And they went to New York insurance commissioners, and they went to other insurance commissioners across the nation, and they said, we want to exclude pandemics. The thing is, though, they didn't use the word pandemic. They didn't use the word pandemic. They didn't clearly say civil authority shut down for a pandemic, no coverage. What they did is they buried the word virus inside portions of the policy with pollutants and other things, and they put that in bacteria and mold or different, different things. So they've tricked a lot of people, and, and the industry does this. They, they slide in things like fine print to try to sue. They have done this in the policies. That's going to be a legal battle that if we don't have a solution for now, because a lot of people in New York, and I would say a lot of people on this podcast, we have, but there's just on just watching here, I'm seeing there's about 446 people um, or companies that are on there. I would say every one of you first go through your policy and see if the word pandemic is, okay, and make a note. Then go and see that the word virus is in there and make a note. Okay, if you have a word virus in there, you have the word pandemic, you do have a dispute. There are also, though, policies in New York and around the country, many of them, that, that have no such exclusion and there's no legitimate argument whatsoever that you're excluded. Now, what Big is asking is looking at, and we're looking at the big picture uh, without any pun, is what's going to happen here. There are policies that clearly apply. There may be pandemic exclusion policies that are clearly excluded, and there's a whole bunch of them in the middle, okay, that there's going to be battles over. What we're saying to the insurance industry, we're saying to the politicians, we're saying to the public, say, look, we don't have time. We do not have time. The insurance industry is running out of oxygen really quick. I mean, the, the, the restaurant industry is running out of oxygen. Actually, the insurance industry is sitting on a big mountain, a big mountain of cash, uh, nearly a trillion dollars, and they're gearing up with their lawyers to fight this and keep that mountain of cash of ours while we're all drowning. But the, but the restaurant industry and others, were running out of oxygen. We don't have much time. We don't have five years to lawyers to fight this. You know? Now, in Superstorm, and, I, and this reminds me, and, and, and I have nightmare uh, re- recollections of Superstorm Sandy because you know I, I did 80% of that litigation um, in, initially when it was filed, and we did all of this stuff. I ended up getting people's checks. I had that legal battle. We won it, but we won it five years later after people lost their houses. And in America, we can't wait. So what we're asking them to do is we're going to the government. We're saying, look, we're, and we're asking industry to come with us, the insurance industry to come with us, saying, look, you're, you, are a, you are a vital part of our, of our process. And we're going to be introducing a bill, uh, a big insurance relief bill, and we're, we're going to say, and we're going to say this, look, if you have policies, there's going to be some, we're going to fight this and we're going to do it for five years. Some policies are going to win on some policies are going to lose on the insurance industry and lawyers are going to make a lot of money battling all of it for the insurance companies. Instead, why don't we come together now? Have the insurance companies contribute on ones they clearly owe on ones we have a lot of fight that we're going to fight over. Let's save the lawyer fees, right? And let's save the businesses now. And if the, and if the civil authorities shut us down, 
uh, and, and there may be exclusions to fight for. Let's fund those policies now. Let's get those policies and the measure of, of need that they paid for. Let's get that paid out. Let's get, let's get the industry up and roll, get up and rolling and settle it now and not, not three to five years from now with, with class action lawyers and, and all of this other stuff. So that's what we're asking for. And what's the response? So you've spoken with legislators. I know you've spoken with the industry about this. I mean, it seems to make sense because this is not a isolated issue where it's impacting, you know, one community and, uh, you know, they'll deal with it. This is really a nationwide issue. And I mean, for most of the people on this call are from New York City, like this is devastating. And I keep even saying about the insurance companies, it's like we are going to lose businesses. And if these businesses don't come back, then there's not going to be businesses to pay those policy premiums in the future. And like you said earlier, you know, our industry is the backbone and whether it's, you know, where we get linen, where we get our tomatoes from, our beer, our spirits. I mean, there are so many other industries that rely on a vibrant hospitality industry um, to succeed, which feeds into why I said earlier that our nation and our city won't recover if our industry is not at the core of that recovery. So my question is, when you have these conversations, when you bring up this issue to government officials or those in the insurance industry, what kind of response are you getting, if any at all? Well, it's, it's interesting because everyone I'm talking to across America, and, and I, I currently represent some of the largest companies, Fortune 500 companies, Fortune 100 companies, in this, in this, and, and there's many of them in the hospitality space, hotels and others, and everyone says the same thing. What, if we have a dispute... Let's not argue after we, there's, you know, there's, there's literal and figurative deaths that are happening. Let's argue about this now. Let's, let's come to the table as Americans now because every business in America that has this coverage is facing this issue, every single one, and every employee, which is millions and millions of people that work for businesses that are employed, that have this coverage, this coverage was purchased to keep them on staff. We all are in this together. There's only one industry, and, 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 and industry I'm seeing everybody. I'm seeing both sides of the aisle, from the White House, from the president himself. We've heard it from the president himself, to people on the left part of the, of the, of the, of the Democratic Party, to in the middle, conservatives, liberals, the politicians, Senate, House, every single person I talk to, big restaurant groups, small industry and hospitality, hotels, everybody says the same thing. Of course, let's look at it now. And if we have some that are clear, Let's get those paid. If we have some that we have arguments about, let's find a solution for them too. But the industry is refusing to talk. I haven't had a single phone call uh, from, from any of the lobbyists or the crisis, but they went out and they, they hired lobbyists and, and crisis managers, and they're in Washington right now. And unfortunately, and I'll find this is a great unfortunate, and I won't say this about everyone on the, on, on the other side, but I will say that there are a lot of people that will make a lot of money by defending a trillion dollar hoard of cash and not paying it out. And there's defense firms around the globe right now that have the potential biggest payday on in the history of civil litigation if they can tell their clients, the insurance companies, don't pay it now. We'll fight it. Let us fight it. Because they're going to make a huge amount of money because this is going to be the single biggest. You know, I, I told my staff when we filed this, you know, our, our law firm, as you may know, filed, initiated and filed and led the tobacco litigation. And we, with that $246 billion settlement, 
Um, this pales in comparison in significance. That was one industry and one what's appeared to be on. This is everybody. Um, but there's a lot of money to be made by sitting on a hoard of cash like that. And, and on, so what we're doing is we're trying to, there is a conflict of interest, I believe, in assessing the risk now versus later. You know, it's interesting on Wall Street and on any business person, you can look in the future and assess risk. I can look right now and say, there's going to be times the insurance companies are going to win on certain policies. I can look at policies right now and say they're going to lose on them. There's actually funds right now that are doing this. Um, why doesn't the industry do that? And the answer, the, the answer to that question is that people giving them advice, okay, potentially have a conflict of interest. And that's wrong. That, that's not American. That's, we need to come together. We're at war here. We're at war. And if we, if we stop, if we got to look, we got to save our businesses and save our economy. We need to sit and we need to come together now to be able to do this. And if we don't, you know, in New York, it's very interesting, you know, and, and uh, we are seeing around, you know, New York is really a center. You know, they, they talk about New York being the center of the world and the rest of it, um, in the center of the economy and it's Wall Street and everything. Um, and we have having the New York Hospitality Alliance to join, to, to, to support and join the business interruption group is important. Um, we just had, but it shows that we're together, you know, that, the interestingly, um, in this last week, um, the Times Square Alliance has just joined the Business Interruption Group along with the New York Hospitality Alliance in supporting this Business Interruption Group initiative. And if you think of the, you mentioned this, Andrew, if you think of that, the economic impact, um, I have some numbers here, which are just, I mean, we're just astonishing about just to consider, just consider the area of Times Square, the hotel, hospitality things just around the Times Square. The Times Square Alliance gave me these figures. Um, there's a hundred billion dollars of economic impact just around Times Square, 225,000 jobs just in that area, 50 billion of direct spending. Um, it's the foundation of the, you know, entertainment, the hospitality, the media in all of North America. I mean, it's, it, 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 it brings 50, 50 million people come to New York in, in, in that Times Square uh, thing every year. Um, it has 130 million pedestrians annually. And you know what? You look at Times Square, it's blank. It looks like the apocalypse. I mean, it's, it's a stark, you know, it, and it's, it's really symbolic of where we are with New York and, and this place. And you look at the Times Square and you see it done, you know, in World War II, and, when we're, and we're really in a war, the Champs-Élysées in Paris was, it was the symbol of the defeat, you know, of, of a potential defeat there uh, that, that could have ended, you know, ended life as we know it in, in the stuff. But it was also, the Champs-Élysées was also the place of, of victory, you know, of where we can do it. And I mean, having the Times Square Alliance, the New York Hospitality Alliance in there behind the Business Interruption Group initiative is very, very important. And it shows that this is not just, this is all of us that need to come together. Um, we are, we're going to be announcing on Tuesday, the Business Interruption Group, um, uh, we're going to start being talking about the nonprofits. We're going to be talking about religious leaders um, that are go- that are coming together to join this initiative. Um, you know, there there is a, a a member of the UN of actually of the UN um, and and whatnot that that is going to to be coming out and really discussing that to deny these claim reserves right now um, is really a moral issue. Uh, it, it is truly a moral imperative. 
that when people have paid, when people have paid for the lifeline, when they've paid for those lifeboats, to not drop them, you know, and, and to leverage them is really an immoral thing. And, and we can't afford it. We can't so, afford it. So this, this is excellent. So, you know, obviously it's clear, as we've said multiple times about, you know, how critical the hospitality industry is in our overall, you know, economy and, uh, you know, socialization of, uh, you know, of, of our communities. So, you know, I like to, I'm pretty fond of saying, no, don't talk about it, be about it. So we listed out, you know, what are all the issues? So, you know, if you were sitting down, if you had the U.S. Congress, the U.S. Senate and the White House sitting at a table and said, John, we like the idea of paying out the business uh, interruption claims. Um, how are we going to do this? I presume we would need legislation. What would it look like? You know, because I'm just looking at some of the Q&A saying, oh, well, you know, can the insurance industry afford to pay this out? What about the contracts that have a clear exclusion versus the ones that it's not clear? I mean, I think we can fight and fight and fight. And like you said, some of this stuff will be tied up in courts for years. What we need is we need immediate relief as soon you know, as possible. So what would be your solution to them? We hear they're working on a fourth stimulus later in the month, early May. Um, what is your solution? What needs to happen? The first part of the solution to a problem is to acknowledge the truth, is to tell the truth and get to the truth, to understand the truth of the issue. The reality is we can't afford not to do it, to do nothing. We, we can't afford, you know, the industry, I see this all the time. Well, how are we going to afford it? We can't afford it. We only have a trillion, nearly a trillion dollars, and you don't pay anything. I mean, that's, that's what, what not to do is to say, I only have a trillion dollars. Don't let me go broke. Well, they're breaking everybody. Okay. Uh, so the first thing is to tell the truth and to demand the truth um, that, that you're sitting on a trillion dollars of our money that's reserved to pay us. If you don't have the money, then what the industry needs to do is to say, okay, I owe on some of this. I collected premiums. We got bonuses. We made profits for years. Oh, by the way, they collect six over six to seven hundred billion a year extra in policy premiums for business interruptions. We can't if the businesses fail, that money can't start coming back into it. We can't afford to have it fail and have all these businesses fail. So we we have to do something. The oxygen is running out. So that, so and, and we can't play chicken with the economy anymore. So what we have to do is to say first, okay, let's look at and what we, we, we've said, to, and we have been at the table, actually, with the White House and with, with, with leaders in the House and Senate on both parties, on, and, 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 and everybody seems to agree. Here's what needs to happen. First off, um, there, is, there is some things, I think, that, that may not work, um, and at least Business Interruption Group is not, it, it, it does, does not, has very skeptical of, and that is legislation, which may be unconstitutional, to retroactively knock out and force these insurers um, and because to, to change, I'm, I'm very concerned that you can't change contracts retroactively between two parties. This, this is different. And on, on the industry side, I sort of agree. But we can tweak this. Those are very, very good. And I understand where they're going. You want to fund these policies. Here's how we can fund them in ways that would be fair, constitutional, and speedy, which is, which is very important is to speed, is we say the industry comes to the table and starts, number one, stops lying and starts telling the truth about the policies. There are certain policies that they owe. Now, maybe 20% of the policies they owe. It may be 40% of the policies they owe, but they have to contribute. 
like sitting on a trillion dollars of our cash, they got to contribute some of that. Okay. Maybe. And, and, and so first is to figure out the amount of one of cash that they actually owe here. It's not, it's not right to say, I don't have enough money to pay my bills and therefore I don't owe you anything. It's the first to say that and to identify that piece and then identify the ones where there's a question as to whether they owe. Okay. That were, that were businesses that were shut down by the government. And there's a question as to whether it is the responsibility of the insurance companies. And on those, what we can have is if the, if the, if, if the government shut you down and it's their responsibility and not the insurance company's responsibility on those portions, then the insurance companies can pay. Okay. Okay. Um, they can pay the policies. All right. They can lift, they can waive their exclusions. They can pay those policies and get reimbursement and get reimbursement from the federal government on that. Um, so that's what we're proposing is you pay the ones you owe. And on the ones we fight about, you can pay it because that's the efficient measure. This is the most efficient measure of getting money to, to, to policies to, 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 through the policies that were measured already. They were pre-measured. The business interruption was pre-measured for every company. So you, 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 you pay those and then you can get, if you didn't owe them or you have a good argument, in it, then we can negotiate a reimbursement for the government for your claim expense and those payments. That will work. We've discussed right now. We're looking for other sponsors. We're discussing that with potential sponsors in the House and the Senate of that bill. Um, so the business interruption group has that drafted, um, that bill drafted, and we believe we can get that done. Now, if that's done, that is going to be the quickest and fairest way to, to get it. It's also going to be, it's going to acknowledge that it doesn't have to all be taxpayer money because we've paid into that system. So it'll, so it's not all taxpayer money. It, it recognizes that we've paid for portion of it. It recognizes what we need because it's already being pre-measured for our business. But most importantly, this, most importantly, this, if the government funds the policies or helps with the policies or, or affects the policies to make it work, and the, and the insurance companies contribute. Then what happens is that people like you and I, we make, we've already bargained for what our benefits are. And we retain that first party right. Under first party rights around the nation, the insurance industry has to pay you in 30 or 60 days exactly what you bargained for, for your lifeboat, for your coverage um, under those policies. And you're not beholden to some federal fund and claims managers that have any immunity. They have fiduciary obligations to you to pay you and pay you on time. That's the most efficient way for it to work. All right. So basically, in short, it's the policies that you believe the insurers clearly owe. They need to pay them out. Those that, um, you know, there may be a gray area. We come together and figure out they pay out part. And then at the end of the day, the federal government needs to step up and is it basically fair to say almost using the insurance companies as a vehicle to get money to the policyholders? Because they're spending obviously billions and billions of dollars now kind of redirecting some of this federal funding through the insurers because they have a structure or system in place. Yeah, right now, I mean, this is what the insurance company always wants to do is like, don't look at our trillion dollar hoard of cash. We're sitting on it like smog the dragon. Don't look at me. Look over here. You know, look at the taxpayer pot of money. And that taxpayer amount of money has been put together. Everybody, I bet you every single person on here 
believes that that federal pots of money are always done in ways that don't work the way you think it should and shouldn't be fair and aren't measured properly. Almost, I have not met a single person that has either benefited or not benefited, especially the restaurant industry, that has said that's fair. And the reason is, is because it's put together very hastily. It's put together on stuff. It's not measured. Right. Like- the exact example here, the exact example is with the Paycheck Protection Program, where in theory, perhaps it would be good, but there's so many reasons why it doesn't work for the restaurant industry. We need to hire back our staff to approximate pre-pandemic levels by the end of June to allow the loan to be converted into a grant. It doesn't make sense. We don't know when we're going to be opened up again. And when we are reopened, we have no idea what consumer purchasing behavior is going to look like. So when you build a new massive program, even if you have tons of smart people doing it, there's always going to be unforeseen consequences. So it goes back to why I think uh, what I said to you earlier is a very valid point that there is a structure and system in place to pay out claims to businesses for business interruption. Yes. So I want to get to some, well, last comment, and then I want to get to some of these, uh, some of these questions. Your point, your point um, Andrew, is yes, there's that mechanism I'd like to make two points about that mechanism. First is how that mechanism, the details, the devil's always in the details, right? You can have a big pot of money. It sounds really good, $2 trillion. But as we all see, where's the devil? The devil's in the details of how that's measured out and, more importantly, who measures it, who gives it out. Now, if it's your insurance company, one thing happens. The measure, you already know about it. It's already measured specifically to your business. And you've paid into a pot for that, okay? So there's fairness on both sides there. But number two, if you claim on your, under, under, under your insurance policy and your insurance policy doesn't do the right thing or they take the money or they keep the money or they delay the money on purpose, then they have potential liability. Here's what the insurance industry wants, okay? Number one, they don't want to look at, they want to keep their entire trillion dollar hoard of our cash and not let any of it go. Okay? And then they want us to do, all, they want all of it to be taxpayer money. But there's one more insidious thing, part about this. If they then get to manage, because the insurance companies, they're, they're management firms, they'll still be in the mix. They want to manage a federal pot of money. And when they manage a federal pot of money versus managing our money and our claims reserves, when they manage a federal pot of money, those claims managers get federal immunity. Literally, if they mismanage the money and they literally commit insurance fraud with that money, they get immunity because they manage a federal. And that's the game. If those of you who lived through, and many of us lived through Superstorm Sandy, you may have seen my claims on 60 Minutes and on Frontline and all that stuff. I literally had to get Eric Schneiderman, but they were forging documents to keep that federal 95P pot of money together. Engineers were literally forging documents. I had to get Eric Schneiderman to arrest the guys, you know, and, and, and to play out on 60 Minutes on the front line in order for people to be paid. And I had, I had over 50 New Yorkers in, in the tri-state area lose their homes before they got their money. Okay? And, and that's we do not want to start happening with all the business in America. Got it. So what would you say? So there's a lot of obviously businesses in New York and city, and they say, you know, we do have um, an exclusion. Um, 
what do, what do you say to that? I guess one from a legal perspective, you know, if they're taking out their policy, and I think you said it earlier, but it would help to uh, reiterate because there's a bunch of questions. What should they be looking for? One, and then two, as part of Big's mission, because some of these policies do exclude the direct answer is we need to go to the federal government and basically get them to backstop the insurance companies in order them for them to pay out the policies where there is an exclusion? Yeah. So so what you should do is first go through your policy and do a word search. Sometimes you can put it on your a thing and you can do a search for the word pandemic. Okay. Those are, those are one. Next, you're not going to find many of those. Not going to be many people. I'd be surprised. This four, I've gone through more about, about 400 of them. There's about 400 people just on this thing. You're probably going to have one, maybe two that will have that. Then, then people need to see virus. And now if virus appears in there on the policy, you need to see where is it in the policy. Okay. Now this is going to be fought about whether the insurance companies, they should get a pass for the fine, the intentional fine print that they put in this to trick, you know, a lot of people thought it's the virus is when they're talking about it's, you know, in, in parts of the policy they're, they're thinking about in the restaurants, they're not thinking about pandemic. Um, and so the insurance companies intended that to not highlight the fact of what they're really doing. That may be a battle. If you're in that category though, and you do just not have virus in it, there's some that are ambiguous and legally there's other parts of the policy. There's lower limits of contamination, others, that may apply. So this is very tricky. I can tell you, I've spoken to Fortune 100 companies and general counsels who have missed some of this. This is very, very technical. So you want to get somebody that understands the policies and how they work and get advice on that because because you may have a policy also that has a word virus in there, but it may but there may be another trigger in the policy because not all these are same. Yeah. The ones that do not, and, and, and the ones that do not, and I would tell you, the ones that have pandemics, exclusions, and the one that has virus, you should be trying to push on the, the insurance companies to pay the ones that don't. And here's why. Because it'll benefit you. Because if the insurance companies, and this is what I'm pushing very, very hard, I'm talking to attorney generals across the nation right now about doing advisory opinions, and I believe we're going to start having this, start pushing the insurance companies that they owe the policies they want. Because if the insurance companies, if they start to understand by our chorus of voices that they can't lie and that they owe a portion, then they will start coming to the table if they know that they have to pay a portion and will have a settlement. If we allow, if we allow the lobbyists and the crisis managers and all the people to misrepresent everybody's policy and that there's, we don't have anything to do with this and then take that hoard of money and hand it to lawyers and lobbyists and crisis managers for the next five years, then we're not going to have a soon solution. Lawyers are going to make a lot of money and the businesses are all going to fail. So if we're all, I would say, no matter where you are, join the business interruption group, share it, take it, um, you know, share it to your, to your other alliances and your hospitality alliance, the Times Square Alliance together, because this is growing. This growing movement is being watched. There are people on this podcast right now from the insurance industry that are watching what we're saying and what we're doing and how we are growing. Where New York goes, the world goes, okay? You're the center of economic activity, literally, in America and the largest economy in the world. You speak loud and people will hear us. 
So we have about 10 minutes. So I want to do some rapid questions. I do want to say, and I'll say it again at the end, we are going to follow up with an email about getting involved with the business interruption group uh, with some social media uh, postings as well that you can get out. But uh, here's a question. Um, If someone uh, has not yet submitted their claim because it's asking for them to specify whether it was a result of direct physical loss or damage to property, how do they respond? Well, first, what I would do, if you're a New Yorker, you send them you send them the order of Mayor de Blasio, which very clearly says it. And I, I would, you know, and, uh, look, there's different things. If you have a if you've got a significant and, and, and this is this is significant to everything, you want to consider whether or not you're going to have somebody do that for you or whether you do that yourself. When you answer those questions, understand that any, you know, you have you're not talking with an insurance company when you send those letters. You're talking to a giant, sometimes multi-billion dollar third-party administration firm that's got lawyers, it's got people that are looking to trip you up. So you need to first be understand that, and, uh, and, and so you, you, you want to be careful on what you say to them. They're, good, they're denying all the policies, by the way, even policies that have pandemic inclusions. So there isn't a single thing you're going to say to them right now that is going to make them pay your policies. But what they will do is they won't, what, what the strategy is now is there's a thing called a soft denial. Uh, we are, we, we are, we don't think you're covered, but we're still investigating and they're trying to draw you out and give and get a trick and trick you into some things. This is what they do. They, they pull in that rope to try to find a trick there that they then get you. Cause then, and all these questions understand are crafted by very smart lawyers that are asking these questions. But I would say to them, first off, are you admitting or are you not admitting that the coronavirus causes a dangerous property condition in my area? Because if you are denying that, there's not any more of what we can say. I would first tell them that and I would send to them, do you agree with my mayor? And you can highlight the portion that says that the coronavirus causes it. Do you agree with this? Now, interestingly, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, interestingly, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court just a few days ago decided this decided this issue that the coronavirus causes a dangerous property condition. Um, you can also cite that as well. Um, you, you can, you know, and if you need any of these things, you can request them on the business interruption website. You can go. We can we can send you these civil authority orders. We can send you these things these things to send to your insurance companies. Um, but 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 cite them that first because if they're going to deny that and make them answer that question, if they're going to deny that it causes a dangerous property condition, there's no more to talk about. They have lost their moral authority and they're not going to pay you no matter what you say. So uh, insurance is often regulated at the state level. So what can state regulators do, you know, both from an agency level, from yeah. an elected official level, um, and even from like the attorneys generals? Um, what can they do, if anything, to help in this cause? So a bit, first off, um, the, the attorney general of any state can speak to what the law is. Okay. Like we're asking a court to do it. I can guarantee you, the insurance companies are going to try to delay what we filed because they know we're right. And they know, I mean, to the, to those insurance people that are on here, if you're on there, I challenge you. I, if you're right about this issue, come into court and, and, and let's put it before a judge. Don't delay it. What I think you're going to do. I think you're going to delay it, but here's the thing. If I'm right and they do delay it and they will try to delay what they're, what they're wrong about. 
an attorney general can issue an opinion. The attorney general of New York can issue an opinion today, later today, that says, I believe this is what the law is. And we've actually, the Business Interruption Group has requested this of the New York attorney general and attorney generals across the country. We've said, um, attorney general, you can give an advisory opinion and please do, because at least on these policies, it's not a defense to say the coronavirus doesn't doesn't cause property damage or or dangerous condition. And this this is the issue that we've got here. And and we could they can cite the order. So if that happens, then I think it's going to bring these insurers to the table to start telling the truth. And then once you start telling the truth, we can start having a a solution. So I would ask everybody in the business interruption group, everybody on here, you can send a message to the attorney general. Now, the insurance commissioner can also do that. Um, we have, I have reached out to a couple insurance commissioners, but not as many as attorney generals. And the hard reality is that the insurance commissioners work very, very, very closely with the insurance industry, very, very closely. And it is, and, and, and many of them are from the industry. And so they, uh, I won't say, uh, I will say this, that if, if you're on that, if you feel that you're kind of on that side, um, then there's confirmation bias that when someone says something, you want to believe it. Um, so we, we, we often with insurance commissioners, um, we speak to them. We hope that they can do that. The insurance commissioner of New York can do that now. But if the attorney general of New York speaks, the insurance commissioner really needs to listen. And I think the insurance committee, you have a very, very good insurance commissioner, as there are many across the nation and, and also needs to be advised of this issue. It is not a defense for anyone to say that the, that the coronavirus does not cause a dangerous property condition or that the, the, the cleanup is a loss to property or a delay that's lost to property. It is no defense. And you know what? The insurance industry knows this is a BS argument and they need to stop it and they need to drop the lifeboats that we have. So I would ask everybody, you can reach out to the, to the attorney general's office. You can start sending email and saying that you support. We want to hear what the, what the attorney general has to say in this issue. Because they, they can. Now, it's not going to be a force of law when they do that, but it is going to be it is something that is going to be persuasive. So I mentioned earlier, you know, a lot of restaurants, while they were closed for in, uh, you know, in restaurant dining, they were still permitted to do takeout and delivery. And some have opted for that. How does a business interruption policy pay out or what's the impact if you are still operating in limited capacity and you're just not fully cut down? Uh, yeah. Measure, as it works the way you would think it works, mm-hmm. the way the way it would fairly work, it, it's a measure of what your damage is. You know, the civil authority is preventing physical access to certain mm-hmm. parts of your restaurant, which is your dining room, and it's allowing you to have to have other places. So it's a measure of what your damage is. It doesn't change it. Okay, um, and someone's just asking the difference between a, a pandemic exclusion and a virus exclusion. Yeah. So the president, um, the president said this to our group um, and he said this also in the press. He says, you know what? I looked for the word pandemic. I'm just not seeing them. Uh, many of these policies with the word pandemic in there. And it is a very, very valid point because, I mean, I've looked at some of the history of how the insurance industries got these things in here with these insurance commissioners. Look, Dana had to spell pandemic. The insurance industry knows how to spell it. You know, according to them, we can't insure pandemics. We can't insure pandemics. We can't listen to their lobbyists. It, it's, and it's in his mouth all the time. Pandemic, 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 pandemic. It's crisis managers. Pandemic, pandemic, pandemic. 
They know how to say it. They know how to exclude it. They didn't, um, they didn't use the word on purpose. Now, there's going to be, and, and, I, and I have said this to defense counsel, um, there can be a very, you know, there are fights that are fair, that are valid. There's, a, there's an honest difference of opinion as to whether or not that's going to hold up in the courts. Um, is the fact that they didn't intentionally, didn't use the word pandemic and, and slid this by and didn't make it clear intentionally, is that going to, are they going to get rewarded for that or not? Um, it's interesting when they, when they talk about the policies, they often go back to, but we couldn't afford it, but we couldn't afford it. And it's like, well, you know what? Not being able to afford an obligation and making one are very, are two very different things. And, and to blend those, the only people that blend, they can't afford to pay you mm-hmm. with whether they owe you are people that aren't, are, are, that are not, they're not being very, the, 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 you know, uh, I can't afford to pay you. You know, everybody that can't afford to pay you says, oh, they make an excuse not to pay you. No, let's divide those things and let's say I can't afford to pay or it's not to pay. Now, um, I keep hearing the thing, well, we, int- we knew we couldn't, uh, couldn't ensure pandemics. Well, guess what? No, they have, there's pandemic and virus ex- inclusions. It's just a matter of how much that they collected and they, pay, they got paid. So that issue is something that, 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 that's going to be out there and that's the battle. And that's why uh, what I'm saying is let's go and bring these issues now and let's talk with the government and business. And look, the government shutting us down. I mean, that's the government what's doing this to businesses and either they have maybe have some responsibility. But look, if we don't do anything, if you just coll- just take the restaurant industry, just collapse the restaurant industry and see what happens. Okay. I mean, they're worried about their trillion dollars. The restaurant industry contributes way more, more than a trillion dollars to the economy. And, and the insurance industry is, is, a, is, is not even a tenth of that as to the economy. So we, we need to figure this out because, as you said, Andrew, we don't do something here. We're going to have a bigger problem. Yeah. So what, what do, uh, so a bid, right? A restaurant files a claim with their insurance company um, and they basically just sit on it. They haven't denied them, um, you know, but they haven't said that they're going to pay it either. Um, should the business be pushing to try to get a denial or obviously that's not what they want, but should, what should they do? You know, should they wait and just see what happens or is there some action they should take? That um, help them? Look, I don't want to, I, I, I've been doing this enough. Uh, I've been doing this enough to to not want to see legal battles. Okay, I, I, I'm I am trying desperately. I've been asked, by the way, to join class actions and partner and do this. Oh, you, John, you led this. You're doing this. You're in the mix. You you you've been doing this for years. Join us in this big class action. And I've told all those lawyers, no, I don't want you know this big slice of this thing. So I don't want this to be a lawyer thing. And the thing is that. I'm trying to do things to solve it now. I think what they need to do is, yes, if the only way you're going to get paid absent this political movement working is by battling these guys in the courts. So you need counsel, unfortunately. Now, I hate to say that because I don't want to see all of this money wasted in litigation. All right. But you're going to need counsel, I think. Um, now, one thing I will tell you when you do look, look for counsel is there are if if there is a soon term political solution here and what the lawyer is doing for you is just managing the claims process. And, and that's a whole another battle. Once they decide whether they have to pay is how much do they pay you? And that becomes the battle. That is a very, very different risk for the lawyer than it is if they've got a battle. And so you should be talking to, 
to, to counsel about that. I would be very careful of doing hourly fees with people or giving them retainers because this is high risk business. Okay. But, um, but I'm hopeful that I think what people should also do is importantly is get involved with the business interruption group, which is, which is a nonprofit movement, which is to try to get Washington to fund the policies and, and, and the insurance company to participate in that funding. Because if we have that, um, then there's going to be a solution in time before the businesses collapse. Because otherwise people are going to have their claims after it, after it, uh, after it, after, after their businesses are gone, unfortunately. So I'm not sure if you would know this, but um, obviously there's the PPP, um, some local you know, jurisdictions have different types of programs that have paid out money to businesses. If someone received money from the PPP um, and this initiative proved successful and you know the insurance companies paid out claims, the federal government stepped in and supported this whole process, would taking money from the PPP or one of these other loans somehow dis qualify you from then uh, getting money from the insurers? It should not. It should not. And, and everyone should oppose that because this is what the insurance companies do all the time. They do this in Superstorm Sandy to everybody. They go and they say, taxpayer money over here. And you know what? The taxpayer money, uh, they don't want their money used and they want to push people this way so that they don't they, they don't be able to take it, take the the money that they and the reserves they, that they paid for. They're not getting the reserves. And it, by the way, understand it. The reserves are your money, right? It ain't the insurance company's money. It's your money that is reserved for your claim. It ain't theirs. It ain't that stuff. Okay. If there's not enough in the reserve account, that's what we should be filling up. Not a federal pot of money from taxpayer stuff. Okay. Um, and, and, and that, that's a, because it's a, your rights and the differences are going to be very important. I would also count, counsel people with this. Because the disaster funds are so always messed up, you know, if you looked at New York Rising, you know, look at, look at the SBA loans after Superstorm Sandy, it's always the same. People forget that they've reserved money into an account over here that they're owed. The anger and the upsetment is now grows with this. And the insurance companies love this because they keep saying, fix the program, fix the program. You're right. Fix the program, fix the program. Don't look over here, ladies and gentlemen. Don't look over here like it's a magic trick, you know, the diversion of attention. And that should be different because you got a better shot. You have more of a fair shot. You have a quicker shot. If this, it doesn't need to be long-term litigation. My hope is that my efforts cut out a lot of the legal fees. I'm trying to cut out hundreds of billions of legal fees and battles by going to court and begging. You know, I'll, most of my time and most of my day is not with the, with the few clients that we, that we retained, but it's on this initiative. And I'm getting questions going, oh, God, why don't you just being a lawyer and doing this stuff? And it's because I, 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 do, I no longer want to give people checks after, <laughs> after it's after it's all over and, 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 and a long legal battle is going to be disastrous. Yeah. Well, this is obviously a big political, um, you know, a big political action that would have to occur. And I know everyone is fighting really hard for this. But on the legal aspect, you know, if a business is denied a claim, um, should they be looking to file a claim? Uh, I'm sorry, file a lawsuit on their own. People have asked, well, if all these businesses are being denied claims, should they file a class action? Can you talk a little bit about what people should consider just um, 
while we're kind of in this limbo period, so we have no idea if the federal government is going to step in and help here. I'm asked this a lot, I guess, because we started the tobacco litigation. My founder kind of invented this class action um, stuff, and I, I got a picture above my, de- above my desk over here of, of Wendell. Um, so sorry, Wendell, on this, but class actions is not the device, okay? Class actions are going to make lawyers rich, I'm sorry to say. It's going to take a long time. Class actions take a long time to even to get certified. And the problem with this is everybody's claim is different. It's not like the claim that we had against tobacco where all the evidence of their wrongdoing were in their drawers and we had to do it. In, in a first-party claim, and a lot of lawyers don't understand this, a first-party claim, the evidence is in your drawers. It's in your file cabinets, not in somebody else's. So there's nothing for the class action lawyers to do on that instance. Um, and so no on a class action, and you're going to be one of them. And, and I don't think those things are going to be certified. I'm going to personally fight that because I think that's wrong and an inefficient way to do it. If we got to go down that way, that is not that. I'm, I'm sorry to say, I think it's a money grab that, that that's going on with lawyers. And I think it's not the right way to do it. Um, now, some people are just honestly have the thing that they they're mistakenly think that's going to be more efficient. It ain't. Okay. What is going to be efficient, um, which should be, um, is is making your own claim properly. So people understand the way first-party claims work, you don't necessarily have to file a lawsuit to pursue it with the insurance company. They should be making claims packages or having somebody help them make claims package they can do right now of what their economic loss is, looking at their policy, and it's good to get help with that because there's lots of ways to put to put to make sure that you're maximizing the rights that you have under that policy and submitting that claim to the insurance company, and they shouldn't wait. That kind of thing can be done now, and that can help set claims reserves. If you wait a long period of time, you can also do that. As far as, as, far as it, I, 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 I think retaining counsel is important. If you do it on the right contingency that, that works for you, um, uh, uh, that, that makes a difference as to how long that the attorney works on it. The other thing is, I would say um, it is, is that whether or not you have your lawyer file the cases, I have seen cases that have been filed right now. I don't know that you need to do, there are a lot, there are different strategic things that are going on right now with stuff that's happened. I have seen lawyers take some, take my stuff that I filed and they filed stuff quickly, um, you know, uh, and, and stuff and, uh, and, and have filed it to get attention or whatever, and they haven't done it strategically. And if you do that, the insurance companies can bounce on the claims. They've already started to do this on claims that are not filed strategically or not filed in the right ones or messed up, not citing the right thing order. So you got to be careful of filing stuff. Um, I can tell you we're fighting on the front lines of this, not as a class action. I'm not doing it as a class action, but I'm doing some of these stuff, and I'm doing a lot of stuff pro bono. To, to get law established. And we get law, and we're working hard with the courts to get law established for everybody here on this call and everybody in America. And it isn't necessary to get a class act, to do class action things to do that. Um, now, um, yeah, so th- that, that's what I would say to everybody to do is start getting your economics and stuff together um, of what your losses are and whatnot. Now, for those that say, oh my God, we're going to have to have legislation, it's going to take so long, and it's all this kind of stuff. Let me give you a hope here. Um, and, and one analogy I can give you to here is my work um, at, in the, on the front lines of the BP oil spill. During the time of the BP oil spill, there wasn't a choice to find a solution. You couldn't wait. 
I mean, restaurants and rest of stuff. The oil was 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 destroying all the stuff in our area here. I live in living here in New Orleans, and it was destroying us. And we couldn't wait for solutions. And there was a period of time when you cannot wait for solutions that you've got to be able to 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 gather the will and the checkbooks open to find the solution. For right now, we are in that place. And I would say this to the insurance executives that are on here. I would say, uh, ladies and gentlemen of the insurance industry, okay, listen, the checkbook's open right now for us to file a solution. And instead, if you hold that money and you give that money to your lawyers and you fight this thing for five years and you destroy the people, the rest of the people that are on this, on this call, there ain't going to be the businesses and stuff left. That what needs to happen is we can have the will right now and we can do something right now. We can go to Washington right now together. You can tell the truth about the things that you owe. Okay, you can tell the truth and not lie to the lawyers about the ones that you owe and those we can have the will to do stuff. I'll tell you, Andrew, we have gotten support from all parts of all parts of the aisle, but we need to be clear. We've got to stop the gaslighting and we have to be clear about what we want and we can do this together. The New York Hospitality Alliance, Times Square Alliance, the Business Interruption Group, and all of the thousands of businesses that have joined all over America we can do this, but we need to act fast because time's running out. So listen, I have a few more questions. We have about five minutes, so try to be as uh, rapid fire here as possible. One, we are still in the midst of this pandemic. Businesses are closed. We don't know when we're going to be able to reopen. Um, how do you determine what your claim is? So if I'm a restaurateur, like, how do I file a claim and know what the amount is? Yeah. So, so let me give it, and, and this disclaimer should apply to everything I said before and everything I said now, I can't give you legal advice specifically about your claim. This is, this is general opinion stuff. Um, there's ethical rules and whatnot of giving, I can't give advice to individual people and the rest. This is general. You need to speak with your local counsel and other things. <coughs> um, and, um, you know, lawyers um, uh, can, can talk to you individually and stuff about your stuff. So this is just, so with that disclaimer, <coughs> what they should be doing is, you got to read the policy. Now, reading these policies are, are real. <laughs> they can be real difficult. And sometimes they're difficult on purpose, by the way. You know, as I described, sometimes it's difficult on purpose. But you need to look at what your limits and stuff are important. And you need to understand that you just don't put a claim in. You need to look at your policy first because there may be ways to interpret things one way or the other. And the other people that you're getting the blocks from, what they're doing is they're experts in minimizing claims. That's what these companies do. They're big, giant companies. So when they solicit questions from you, they are intentionally trying to put those questions into blocks of exclusions. They're specifically drawing out a question to put it in an exclusion box. You need to be careful, really understanding the words of your contract, that you need to do the same thing that they do. Now, I recommend to get the same, you need to get, this, you know, it's, it's hard because our policy premiums are going to pay the people that are adverse to us and they sit in that big claims reserve pot and they pay all those people to minimize our pots of money. And many policies don't have claim expense for us to be able to have the same expertise, which is what the terrible part of this situation is when they intentionally leverage you in disasters like this. Um, but you need to read your policies and see and understand when they're asking you questions, those are not innocent questions that they're asking you um, to just get more information. They're not. They're trying to get information to put it in 
in blocks of exclusion. So I'd be very be careful. So what happened if an uh, insurance company contacted a restaurant and they asked if there was physical property damage and someone said uh, there was no physical property damage because they had not yet listened to this conversation? Yeah. Can you kind of go back and change that or are they just stuck on what they said the first time? Look, there's all kinds of, and, and this, I mean, there's been, you got to understand, there has been a month of preparation for this to come on how they were going to draft questions. And, and I got to tell you, after these civil authority orders, I'm seeing the questions. They're, they're changing the questions to be, and I, I can, you know, it was a wonderful, you know, Woody Allen movie in New York where the, 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 the guy and the girl are talking and there's like their subtitles or what are they really saying to each other? And that's really what's going on here. You know, um, is, is that's what, that's what's happening in, in these things, but I wouldn't worry too much. I would just be careful from here on out. I would, I would be careful of that and, and, and understand that you don't have to have a dangerous property condition in your place. Mayor de Blasio recognized it was dangerous property condition in Manhattan. And these insurance companies, I've told them, and I'll, I'll address the insurance guys again on, on the phone here, um, you guys come in and you deny that there's coronavirus, a dangerous property condition in Manhattan, and, and, and we're going to have the same problem we had in Superstorm Sandy where we, where we, have, to, we have to call the authorities because that ain't going to be true. Um, it, there is a dangerous condition in Manhattan, okay? And that's what they need to say, and that, that's what's necessary for the civil authorities uh, coverage to kick in absent. A All right. So we'll get to just a couple more really quick. So if your policy doesn't have a virus or pandemic exclusion, is it worth continuing to fight? Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you don't have a virus exclusion, I haven't seen a policy. I can't give the questioner. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen a policy that is not full, that not have full coverage if they do not have a virus exclusion here. And anything, that's one thing I got to come out of this thing. You don't have a clear virus exclusion. You, this is going to be general advice here. You got to talk to a local lawyer. You got to talk to different things or speak to a lawyer individually that understands this stuff. But that lawyer is likely going to tell you if they know this stuff, you have coverage. I mean, this is, all right, there's nothing 100%. I don't know that I'm going to make it 100% to the end of this podcast, but absolutely, you know, you got coverage, um, in my opinion, um, if, 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 uh, if you don't have the exclusions. Right. Um, Someone just wanted some clarity on something that was said. Um, should a lawyer help you submit your claim or you should only work with a lawyer if you're taking some sort of legal action after a claim was denied? Yeah. I mean, I, 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 um, I spent a lot of my life trying to cut out, I'm trying to cut out lawyers in this process, <laughs> but I got to tell you, you need, this is a situation where it's very, you got lawyers on the other side. Understand this. You got lawyers on the other side of your claim. You don't see them but they're doing it trying to mess you over. Okay. And I, and I think you need, my advice is always um, don't go to the field with, with they, with, with, with they have players and you don't. And I think you do, you just got to find a way in that. And I, and, and that's unfortunate because, um, but, but I think that yes, you need legal counsel um, or you need a, a public adjuster is another way to go here. Um, public adjusters, by the way, can charge um, a percentage um, like a lawyer, they can be less than that. Although lawyers can also act as, you know, they, they can charge a low percentage also, depending upon the risk and the things that they're doing. Great. Um, someone else was just asking, um, would companies be obligated to refund, to pay policies based on 2019 sales 
or your 2020 sales? Where would basically the baseline to determine what the loss is? How would that be? You know, those crummy lawyer answers depends, right? It depends on your policy. It depends on your thing. Um, but but I got to tell you, on the the other side understands this really well. Um, it ain't black and white, you know, and that's why they got really professionals on the other side to try to minimize the the, the benefits um, and stuff. And you you need to understand it that that if you're you're as good as what they are in being able to do it, you can balance that minimization. All right. And about how long would policies take to be paid out? So say this was to happen, right? Say everyone came together and said, this is a massive, massive crisis across our nation. We recognize paying out business interruption uh, insurance policies is a way to help save the economy. This is the vehicle to do it. How long do these things take to play out? Because we've seen, you know, with the PPP, you submit the loan, then when are you getting the money? And like with everything else, um, time is money. And right now people have no time and they have no money. So what's usually the time frame in your experience with Katrina, Superstorm Sandy, the tobacco? Like when does the money start flowing and getting to businesses after the decision is made? So it depends if it's a federal fund. Okay. If, if, if the insurance companies succeed in making a taxpayer fully funded pay fund where they don't pay anything to and they have immunity, five to seven years. Yeah. Um, tragic. Um, now, on the flip side, if you have first party rights in some states, depending upon if you, once you get all the evidence in, you have to have a check on your desk in 30 days on your desk in 30 days from all the evidence going in, according to some uh, first party statutes in most states, it's 60 days. So when the moment, and here's the thing, and this is what's important on first party stuff. If you have all the evidence in to the insurance company in the right way, that triggers a time clock in most states, it's a countdown and they have to have a check on your desk. Now what they do is, what they do is they try to not have that time clock start. So they say, oh, we're still investigating. We don't have enough information. And they try to not have that time clock start. But a good claims manager, which can be a lawyer, a public adjuster, that's as good like their side, they can short the time frame. I've got eight-figure, eight-figure settlements within 29 days on my desk. Okay, If you do it properly, now in some states it's six days. Now, New York has a difficult loss. You know, I represent over 1,500 property owners in New York. Um, and I, and I, I co-led that litigation as, as, the, as the liaison counsel in, in that thing. And I got to tell you, it depends. That was a federal fund that I had to fight against. Okay? And I literally had to get the attorney general to arrest somebody in order to get them to get to pay. And it took, it took many, many years. We got claims reopened um, in that. We got 144,000, you know, as a result of my litigation, I got 144,000 families reopened in that. But it took a long time, so it depends on the thing. But you can, if you, that's what's so important of this mission to get the policies funded because then you have first party rights. Now, New York is a little bit difficult. New York doesn't have exactly that same time statute, but what it does have is this. If you explain to the insurance company, if you don't pay me on this date, and that's 60 days afterwards, my business is going to go down. And here's what's going to happen to my business. And then they don't pay you when they should. Then you can pick up those compensatory damages um, as penalties. And I got to tell you, People don't pay, they're not going to pay on time unless they know that there's a penalty. So part of the art of this is not only to give them all of your evidence and to make sure 
that they have a deadline after which it's going to hurt you. And for you to express that now so that if later they blow the deadline, they have, and if they know that there's real penalties, you know, the reason I'm getting that we, that we get these checks sent on the ones where, where we can, now this has got a, a trigger that we got to get over of, of liability. So it's going to take longer. All right. Um, oh, I got one minute left for you for closing remarks. And I got a couple things to say, but if you wanted to leave this audience with one message of what they can do, how they can do it and what we can all do collectively moving forward, what is that message? Uh, number one, join the business interruption group, um, the New York hospitality lines and, New York Times Alliance, if you're part of it, join these organizations because because right now it'll affect. Number two, um, send a, send a letter to the attorney general asking them or send an email saying we want this. To, we we think this issue should be decided as to whether it should be damages, uh, whether whether the coronavirus causes a dangerous property condition. You do that, your attorney general speaks, and something will happen quickly. And then number number three, um, we're going to come out with this bill that's going to be a funding bill. Um, and we're going to ask you, we're going to send all, if you're on here, we're going to say, hey, uh, just just get to your elected officials and, 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 and support that. And you support, and I'm going to be giving it a four, check your policy, read it. Don't listen to what they say. Read the policy because they're not telling the truth about what's, what it's saying inside most of these policies. John Hotelling, Business Interruption Group. I want to thank you for joining us today. Uh, I appreciate your work on behalf of so many. Um, to all of you, like I've said, the whole New York City Hospitality Alliance team, they've just been incredible. I've been going around the clock and the amount of support they provided me, which allows us to provide the industry support is phenomenal. We know this is such a trying, trying time right now. There are so many just uncertainties and unanswered questions. Um, and our president of the New York City Hospitality Alliance, uh, Melba Wilson, was on 60 Minutes a couple weeks ago, and they featured her. And uh, something she said just stuck with me. She said her grandmother used to always say to her, you know, honey, this too shall pass. And there's going to be damage on the way, but this too shall pass. And if we can work collectively as an industry, through groups like the Hospitality Alliance and many of the other groups uh, like BIG and other groups that are newly formed or that have been around for years, you know, marching with one singular voice. Uh, we have incredible power. We have more power than we ever have had in the past. And I always said elected officials always love to say we must support our local restaurant, our neighborhood pub. Mom and pop businesses are the backbone, the fabric of our neighborhoods. But then so often they're the same ones that pass policies that make it more and more difficult for those exact types of businesses to survive. Well, I'll say that I think and truly believe the times have changed. We have leverage. People recognize that your neighborhood restaurant, your bar, your nightclub, it's not just some business that's here or there. These are the fabric of our neighborhood, and we need to channel that vitality that we have and get our message clear. And the insurers, our federal leaders, our state leaders, our city leaders, and the business community, and frankly, everyone that just loves going out for a great meal and a great drink, need to come together and make this happen. We need to get policy premium, um, sorry, policy claims paid out. We also need to fix the PPP, and we are fighting tooth and nail to do that. Extend the forgivable loan period to the end of the year to hire your staff back, not June allow more than 25% of that PP loan, PPP loan to go to uh, 
rent, utilities, and other expenses. And as you've probably seen, the Hospitality Alliance and many other groups have long, exhaustive lists of the big issues to deal with rent, to deal with insurance, but also just deal with sidewalk cafes, capping third-party delivery uh, fees at 10%, and all of these policies. There's going to be some overarching policies, but there's going to be countless more minor policies that need to be enacted, both in the immediate crisis, the midterm, and the long term. And the New York City Hospitality Alliance is so committed, because it's in our blood, to support you and work through all of this. We are going to follow up this uh, conversation with an email in the very near future. I think we can put a link to Mayor de Blasio's executive order. We can put information about the business interruption group. You can always respond back with questions uh, and we'll do our best to answer them. Again, as we've explained, some things are very kind of case and policy specific. So we may not be able to get into that, but I wanna let you all know that we are here Sorry we couldn't get to all of your questions, um, but get involved, stay involved, don't talk about it, be about it. Uh, we are big, the New York City Hospitality Alliance and all the other groups that were mentioned. I want to thank you all for, uh, for tuning in today. Uh, let's do this together, and hopefully we can get legislation introduced at a federal level, which will then give a system to you to make it very easy to contact your elected representatives and everyone else. So make sure you're engaged in both city and state issues because they're all critically important and also at a national level because we need to hit this from every single angle. Because as I said before, and I'll continue to say it, our economy, both on a national, state, and city level, will not fully recover if our industry is not at the core of it. So I want to say thank you. Stay safe. Stay healthy. John, the Business Interruption Group, I mentioned Ronan earlier, the Hospitality Alliance team, our board of directors, all of our members, and all of you. Thank you. Peace. And we hope to see you sooner than later on the other side of this inside a restaurant, a bar, or a nightclub, or all three. So long, everyone. There'll also be a live recording. Well, it won't be live, but a recorded version of this conversation that we'll send out. Thank you, and we'll talk soon. So long. Thank you, Andrew. I'd like to give a big thank you to our guests for coming in. I want to thank everyone for listening to Hospitality and Politics, powered by the New York City Hospitality Alliance. Please rate, review, share this show with anyone you think that would like it. You can find us on Instagram and on Twitter at the NYC Alliance. We're on Facebook and LinkedIn, New York City Hospitality Alliance. And I'm your host, Andrew Ridgey, and I'm at Twitter at Andrew Ridgey and Instagram, Political Foodie NYC. Join our movement, support the New York City Hospitality Alliance. Find us, the NYC Alliance.org. We'll talk to you next time.